Uh, we're working through our series, The Heart of the Matter. This morning, I want to ask the question, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? In 2017, a movie came out called The Greatest Showman. One of the songs in that movie, uh, the character Jenny Lind, was beginning her uh, American debut, and she sang this song. And I want you to listen to the irony of the song. She's becoming more popular, and this is her song. These are the words. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough for me, she sang. I was doing a little research this week, and I, I read some commentary by the, the guys who wrote that song, and they said this, never, never, never enough. It felt like you could imagine someone in a castle trying to count all of their riches, and it still doesn't add up to enough. It's that kind of moment where somebody isn't really satisfied. So we asked the question, how much is enough? Solomon, one of the great kings of the nation of Israel, David's son. He built parks, houses, vineyards, castles, pools. He gathered silver, gold, all of the earthly treasures he could find. One of the wealthiest kings that ever lived. And he got to the end of his life in the book of Ecclesiastes and he said this, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold... All was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon's conclusion, I did all of this stuff, and it was never enough. Never enough for me. We're working through our series, The Heart of the Matter. Solomon said, I kept my heart from no pleasure. Randy asked me this morning if there was, we weren't going to be casting any stones this morning. I just want to remind you of a couple of the illustrations we've been talking about. Remember, we talked about there's a throne in each of our lives. And we choose... God gives us that ability to choose what we are going to place on that throne to rule our lives. So often we place ourselves on the throne, but we know as we've studied, there's only one who deserves to sit on that throne, Jesus Christ, because of what he did in our lives. Last week we talked about the idols. 
we like to carry around. I put these in a backpack for us, and I talked about how often we walk around our lives with these idols carrying around this weight. Jesus calls us to live a life casting off these burdens, casting off this weight because his burden is light. We've looked at this definition of we've gone through. Brad Bigney gives us this definition from his Book, an idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. So as we're thinking through our lives, what is capturing our hearts? Solomon said, I went after all these things with my heart and I realized they were like grasping for the wind. I just couldn't get a hold of them. And it was never enough. This morning I want us to turn to the book of Daniel. I want to focus on uh, the, a character in the book of, of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. Now in this period, Daniel's written in a time when the kingdom of Judah is being conquered by the Babylonians. You remember in the beginning of the book, the Babylonians come in, they siege it, they, they take some of the young men away into captivity, taken out of their land, they're given new, new names, new place to live, new names, they're trying to reestablish them as Babylonians. This is how they learn to take over, that they would come in and rule over these people by having them take over their culture. So they gave them new food, new names, new land, all of the things. They taught them all of their own ways. As Daniel comes in, you remember that Daniel was able to interpret a couple different dreams in the book of Daniel. But we're going to look at the first one here in Daniel chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 31. So the king has had this dream. This is not the text. This is, I'm summarizing the text for you. I'm looking down at the Bible. I'm hoping you're not like, this is not the Roger Stewart version. I'm just summarizing for you right now. So the king has had this dream and he commands that all the, that his people come in and tell him what the dream is. And they can't do that. They can't interpret the dream. And Daniel, in order to save some of the people, he comes in and he says, I can interpret the dream with God's power. So he says this, you saw, O king, and behold, this is verse 31, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, 
A stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, and all together were broken into pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So Daniel comes in and he says, here is what your dream is. He goes on to say, not only am I going to tell you what your dream was, but I'm going to interpret it for you. I'm going to tell you what the dream means. So he says, each of the sections of the statue that you saw were kingdoms. And each of these kingdoms, God is going to lay flat. God is going to take them out with his own hand. So as we look at this passage, in light of idolatry, we ask the question... When is it going to be enough? And when it comes to our idolatry, I think over the past several weeks, we begin to understand more that idolatry is never enough. It's never enough. The idols of our lives will always scream that they want more. They need more. They desire more. And God begins to show Nebuchadnezzar and even some of the greatest things of the world, these kingdoms, and they're reckoned on the statue to gold and silver and precious metals, they're all going to just fall. That his striving will be like striving after the wind, as Solomon mentioned. But what's interesting is the stone that God cuts out is used in the downfall of all of these kingdoms. So we ask the question, will our idols ever be satisfied? The first thing I want us to note is that idols are temporary. Idols are temporary. Solomon refers to all of his possessions, all of the things he did just as vanity and striving after wind. And God was revealing to Nebuchadnezzar that only God is sovereign over all. Even the greatest of kingdoms that has existed or that does exist right now, God is sovereign over those. You would think that a simple stone cut out by God's hand wouldn't do that much damage. But because it's cut out by God's hand, it is able to lay waste to all of these empires, to all of these kingdoms that have been set up. 
you would think that a stone wouldn't be able to lay waste to something made of strength, but because it's got done with God's hand, it's able to topple over those other kingdoms. And so it goes to show us that only what God's hand touches is eternal. Idols are just temporary, but it's what God's hands touches that's eternal. And Jesus talked about having eternal treasures, giving up our earthly treasures, because our kingdoms that we build are based off of what we treasure. So Jesus said this, this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're talking about the heart of the matter, what our hearts are doing. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is going to be. In other words, where your treasure is, that is what you're going to put on the throne of your lives and allow to rule your life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as our hearts are focused on earthly treasures, whether that be money, whether that be possessions, whether that be people's opinions of us, whether that be, you could fill in the blanks there, where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we place earthly treasures on the throne of our lives, they have one end. Jesus says their end is going to be moth and rust are going to destroy them, our thieves are going to break in and steal. I don't know about you, I like to keep things nice. But you know how hard it is to keep things nice? Why? Because time. Time just destroys things. Things just fall apart and you go, it was working yesterday. Why did it stop working today? Well, this is the moth and the rust that destroys. I wish cars lasted forever, but you know what kills the most cars? Rust. Moth and rust destroy. Or what happened? Thieves, we value things so much, so we try to keep them safe. We lock our doors, we put them in a safe, but thieves then break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The problem in our idolatry is we are assigning something of temporal worth with eternal value, and that's leaving a short change. Paul writes in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, 
He writes of all of the things that he's done, all of the accomplishments he has. Verse 4, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's Paul's list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, he says, look at all of the things I've done. Look at the way I was raised. Look at all the things I could put on the throne of my life. But then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says all of these things that I could tout, I could say, look at me. I could wear the badge with all of the little things on it. I could wear the vest with all of the pieces on it. I could say, look at what I have done. Look at how great I am. He says, those are garbage to me. Those are all rubbish to me. The literal is more like, take these out and throw them on the manure pile. They're all lost. They are worthless that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I laid everything aside that I may gain Christ. Because everything else is worthless, is rubbish. Let's jump ahead to the next chapter. Where's Nebuchadnezzar at? Chapter 3, verse 1. So Daniel reveals this dream to him. He is promoted in the kingdom. He becomes like Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. And then Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So God shows Nebuchadnezzar this statue. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't get the message, apparently. So he creates a statue. It says it was 60 cubits high. That's about 90 feet tall. Jump down to verse 4. And a herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, when all these musical instruments play, every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So what has Nebuchadnezzar done? He hasn't said, okay, God's sovereign, he's going to rule, I'm just, I'm going to let him rule and I'm not going to make myself a big thing. I'm going to focus the attention on him. No, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, I want everyone to focus their attention on me. So much so that I'm going to build 
a statue that's 90 feet tall that looks just like me so that people can bow down and worship to me. Say, oh, how great is King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at all of the things he's done for us. The problem is idols continue to grow. If you don't put your idols to death, they will continue to grow and flourish. They'll continue to get bigger. Tim Keller says this, more than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God, that our security and value and value rest in our own wisdom, strength, and performance. We place ourselves on that throne and then we say, well, I am in charge. It's my own wisdom, strength, and performance that's going to get me anywhere. It's what's going to provide me security. It's what's going to give me value. Sometimes we do that with money. Okay, do I have enough in my checking account if something bad were to happen tomorrow that I can take care of this myself? Do I, I have the knowledge that if this were to happen, I would be able to just work myself out of this? Maybe I need to read some more books. Maybe I need to get some more of this. But that's not how we're commanded to do things in life. We're commanded to allow God to rule and reign and trust him with our lives. And that includes all of those things, making sure that we have the knowledge for when we come in and face obstacles in our lives. Trusting him financially when we go through troubles. But so often we want to have our own things on that throne so that we can feel secure or have value. The problem is, as we allow these idols to grow, they begin to have a dominant place in our life. A place where we feel like they are more powerful than we are able to master. We are able to, we are, we feel like we are not able to overcome them. Keller later says this, our hearts say, I will ascend, I will be as the most high for my own sake. Do you hear that in Nebuchadnezzar's? He wants people to see him as the ruler, him as God. Keller goes on, but Jesus said, I will descend, I will go low for their sakes. He became human and went to the cross to die for our sins. He takes that, Keller takes that out of Philippians chapter 2. This comes before Paul lists all of his accomplishments. He's talking about Jesus Christ, the author of our faith, the one who enabled us to have salvation he said and being found in human form he jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross the one who could have said make an idol of me and bow down to it did not say that he in humility lowered himself to the lowest place imaginable at that time the death of a sinner 
on a cross. Paul goes on to say this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came in obedience to his Father. He lived his life in such a way full of obedience, always giving glory to God in everything that happened even to the point of death. And because of that, God has highly exalted him. God has placed him in a place of honor and worship and praise. That every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. You see, in order to begin to diminish the idols in our lives... We have to recognize Jesus as Lord. The more we feed our idols, the more they grow. So we need to start cutting off the food for our idols so they can start shrinking down. So that they can become manageable enough, we can say, no, I don't want you there, I'm going to move you. You think of a sumo wrestler. If I was in the ring with a sumo wrestler, these guys are like 6'6", like 450 pounds. Do you think I'd stand much of a chance? Probably not. But you put that guy on a diet for a while, pretty soon I might have a chance. So we need... To put our idols on a diet, cut off the food supply, and we do that by recognizing Jesus as sovereign over all and putting him in the right place in our lives. We're jumping down to Daniel chapter 4. So what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel chapter 4 verse 28 says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? Oh, look at what I have done. Look at over all the people. Now, idols are filled with pride. Will they ever be satisfied? No. Idols are filled with pride. Nebuchadnezzar is walking outside just basking in all of the things. Pride has a way of making us look at our accomplishments, making us look at the things we've done with our life and go, man, look at me. Ain't I something? Great English right there. Look at me, how I'm such a great person. Idols are filled with pride. God says this in Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Where is that pride bubbling, bubbling up from? From our hearts. He says, be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. They will not go unpunished. 
The Lord detests all the proud of heart. C.S. Lewis wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia series. In the third book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a character named Eustace Scrub. Now, Eustace was not one of the kindest young people. He always expressed himself in the form of teasing, torturing animals, tattling, trying to gain approval. But he did a lot of this because he wanted to feel in control. He wanted to have power. In the adventure, in the book, Eustace witnesses a dragon's death. And he soon stumbles upon the treasure in its lair. He begins to see all the gold and the jewels, the crowns, the diamonds, the bracelets. And he dreams of what he can do with all of this amazing plunder he's just discovered. Well, it's not long before Eustace is drifting off to sleep, literally dreaming of what he can do with the treasure. Soon he awoke, he was startled, and begins to discover that he had become a dragon himself. He had become what he was so scared of before. And C.S. Lewis comments in that book, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. We have to be careful what idols we place on the throne because we're going to become like those idols ourselves. That pride that's welling up inside of us is going to make us internally and externally just very prideful. Keller comments, when we set our heart on power, we become hardened predators. We become like what we worship. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also, Jesus said. So instead of being filled with pride, Paul was calling the Philippians to be humble like Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, John's disciples are getting worried because they see some of John's disciples leaving and following Jesus Christ. They're worried. What about you, John? What are you going to do? And John, the Baptist, says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's John 3.31. He must increase. I must decrease. You see, as we refocus our hearts, as we begin to diminish our idols, we need to increase Jesus Christ and decrease what we're putting on the throne until we're able to remove it completely. So what happens to Nebuchadnezzar? It's in the following verses, verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, 
while he just said, look at my greatness. There fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. See, God isn't satisfied with our idols either. He will not leave us in our idolatry. God works to smash our idols. God will work in a Christian's life to rid them of their idols. God's word were quickly fulfilled for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, look at what I have done. God said, you're going to look like an animal, eat like an animal, act like an animal, and be around a bunch of animals. And it was fulfilled moments later. Brad says this. God is in the idol-smashing business not because he's egotistical. He's in the idol-smashing business because he's good. He knows you'll never find happiness in counterfeits. They will lead only to more messes and further entanglements if you go anywhere but to him. We turn so often away from God to the quick fix. We turn away from God to the area of comfort. We turn away from God to the thing we think will meet our needs, but it's really God who meets our needs. We run to things like money, pleasure, food, power, because they help us feel secure. They help us escape from the pressures of life, or at least think we're escaping from the pressures of life. But the fact is, God is to be our refuge. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When you're going through trouble, what do you turn to first? So often, where do I turn to first? I think, oh, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to call so-and-so, we need to do this. Rather than, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Okay, God, why are you having me go through this? Help me learn the lesson you want me to learn through this. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's that I don't need whatever it is I'm worrying about right now. Whatever it is, God is our refuge and strength. That's part of the way that we begin to diminish those idols. We run to God first. Eustace became a powerful dragon, but it also left him afraid and lonely. But it wasn't until he had an encounter with a lion. He didn't even know the lion's name. He found out later it was Aslan. Aslan, who C.S. Lewis depicts as Jesus Christ, comes along and he tells Eustace, pull off your dragon skin. And so 
Eustace begins clawing his way, trying to pull off, and soon he's shed a layer like a snake. And it doesn't help him. He's still a dragon. It's not until Aslan comes along and uses his claw and cuts deep. He's able to cut Eustace out of the dragon's skin and free him. He's able to reemerge as a boy. You see, Eustace discovered that pride... Placing the wrong things as idols in our lives lead to death. Keller comments, if you let it humble you, if you let the fact that God is putting you through this humble you rather than embitter you and turn to God instead of living for your own glory, then the death of your pride can lead to a resurrection. You can emerge finally fully human with a tender heart instead of a hard heart. Heart. Eustace emerged as a different boy. As we close this morning, we need to seek God as our refuge and strength and abandon our idols. Rather than place them on the throne of our lives, we need to seek Him first. Where do you go when you're in trouble? Where do you go when you have a need? Where do you go when you feel uncomfortable? I listed several verses there on your sheets. I encourage you to look those up. One of those is 40, uh, Psalm 46, verse 1, we looked at this morning already. What do you use as your refuge? Do you go to God? Or do you try to do it all on your own? Would you close in prayer with me? Father, we... God, we pray that you would help us each diminish the idols in our lives. God, all of us struggle with different things, but I know, God, you are not satisfied by leaving us in our idols. Because, number one, you deserve all honor and glory and praise. Beyond that, You want our worship and praise, holy, wholly devoted to you. God, you want us, as Romans 12, 1 says, to give our whole bodies to you as a sacrifice, as our spiritual act of worship. It says, do not be conformed, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so as we look to you as our refuge, as we look to you as our strength, work to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives to focus on you continually, to give you all honor and glory and praise, to turn to you in the midst of whatever you're facing. God, may we take the idols out of our lives and place you on that throne on a daily basis. Sometimes on an hourly basis, sometimes minute by minute, we just need to 
remove the idol and put you on the throne. God, help us to do that as we seek to bring you honor and glory and praise. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.